Here's Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts making her pitch to voters on February 1st in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, ahead of the Iowa caucuses on February 3rd. The following audio is courtesy of Reuters. Uh, I brought family with me this time. I got my three guys, my husband Bruce, my son Alex, and our dog Bailey. So stand up. Thank you for being here. You know, I have a couple of more thank yous. Uh, I got in this race a little over a year ago, and I actually remember being here. And in the space of that year, we have done town halls, we've done zillions of unfiltered questions, and we've taken a zillion, zillion selfies. Uh, All the fun. I've heard from you. You've pressed notes into my hand. You've whispered dreams into my ear. You've told me about your lives, about issues, about ideas, about how we could make things better. In all of this year, you have made me a better candidate, and you will make me a better president. Thank you. Thank you, Iowa. say thank you to everybody who got in this presidential race, whether they're still in it or not. You know, people got in this out of an act of service to our country and some different ideas about how to do it, but all wanting us to build a better America. And we're down to the final strokes here, but understand, we will, we must come together as a party and beat Donald Trump. That is our job. Yes. And I got a plan for that. So I thought what we do today is I tell you a little bit about myself, for some of you haven't met me yet, tell you a little bit about why I'm in this race And then we'll just take as many questions as we can. Now, usually at that point, I would say, and we'll wrap up and do selfies. But I've been in Washington for a long time, locked down, and I need to get to a lot of places around Iowa today and the next day. So I hope you'll indulge me. Bailey's going to stay and do the selfie line. He's been working on his smile. He's ready. He's ready. So, see, he really is. He's giving it to you. Yeah, the guy works a camera. Uh, so, um, just for all of you to know, I was born and raised in Oklahoma. I am the baby. Uh, I have three much older brothers. I am what used to be called a late-in-life baby. My mother always just called me the surprise. (laughs) My three older brothers are all retired. They live back in Oklahoma now. And collectively, to this day, they are referred to as the boys. That's to distinguish them from the surprise. (laughs) Now, when we were growing up, our daddy had a lot of different jobs. Um, he, uh, He sold carpet. He sold fencing. He sold housewares. Um, And he ultimately ended up as a janitor. 
Our mom worked a minimum wage job at Sears. All three of my older brothers went off and joined the military. It was their chance to serve, and frankly, it was also a path to America's middle class. Now me, I have known what I wanted to be since second grade. Yeah, you laugh. <laughs> you didn't decide to what, like fourth grade? <laughs> Fifth grade back in the back row. I know, I know. I have known exactly what I wanted to be since second grade, and I have never wavered from it. I wanted to be a public school teacher. And I want you to know, I used to line up my dollies and teach school. Had a reputation for being tough but fair. Now, this is all I ever talked about growing up. But by the time I graduated from high school, my family didn't have the money for a college application, much less to send me off to four years at university. So, like a lot of Americans, I do not have a straight path story. I got a story that's got a lot of twists and turns in it. So here's how my story goes. I was a high school debater, and I got a scholarship to college. Woohoo! Let's hear it for the nerds. You bet. Yeah. And then at 19, I fell in love, got married, and dropped out. Woohoo! <laughs> um, look, it's a good life. No one pushed me into this. We were going to build something really terrific, but I thought what it meant is I had given up on the dream. That I had lost my chance to be a public school teacher. So we're living outside Houston, and that's when I found it. A commuter college that was 45 minutes away that cost $50 a semester. Yep, and for a price I could pay for on a part-time waitressing job, I finished my four-year diploma. I became a special education teacher. I have lived my dream job. Now, have we got any teachers in here? Whoa! Did teachers? Teachers. More and more teachers. Good. Teachers. We've got a bunch. Good. So I'm going to need you to back me up on this. Back me up on this, teachers. It is not a job. It is a calling. It's true. It's true. I loved this work. So I had four to six-year-olds in special education, and I loved my babies. And I probably would still be doing this work today, but by the end of my first year, I was visibly pregnant. And the principal did what principals did in those days. Wish me luck and hired someone else for the job. Okay, so we're living in New Jersey. Um, I can't get a job. I got a baby at home, and I gotta do something. I am not cut out for this. I gotta do something. I know I will go to law school. So, found a state law school. And for $450 a semester, baby on hip, headed off and did three years of law school. 
graduated, visibly pregnant, you will discover a pattern to this story. <laughs> graduated, visibly pregnant, and took the bar, passed the bar, and practiced law for 45 minutes. Yeah. And then I went back to my first love, teaching. I traded little ones for great big ones, and I've spent most of my grown-up life teaching, teaching in law schools. Uh, other big changes in my life at this point, husband number one, hint, never good when you have to number your husbands. <laughs> husband number one and I parted ways, but I found Bruce and I've held on to him ever since. My God. Find a good one, hold on. Um, so here I am. I'm teaching in law school, and I don't know if it's because of the way I grew up, uh, but man, it's the money courses. So I teach contract law and commercial law, secure transactions, payment systems, corporate finance, partnership finance, law of debtors and creditors, bankruptcy law, law and economics. If it's about money, I'm there. But there's one central question that I always worked on, and that is, What's happening to working families in America? Why is America's middle class being hollowed out? Why is it that people who work every bit as hard as my mom and dad worked two generations ago find the path today so much rockier and so much steeper, and for people of color, even rockier and even steeper? Why? And the answer has to do with who our government in Washington works for. Think of it this way. We have a government that works great for giant drug companies that want to sell drugs, just not for people who are trying to get a prescription filled. We have a government that works great for people who want to make a little profit investing in private detention centers at our border or private prisons, just not for the people whose lives are torn apart by those places. We have a government that works great for giant oil companies that want to drill everywhere, just not for the rest of us who see climate change bearing down upon us. And when you see a government that works great for those with money, for those who can hire armies of lobbyists and lawyers, and is not working so great for everyone else. That is corruption, pure and simple, and we need to call it out for what it is. This is what has happened to our government over, over time. Dale, where's my friend Dale? There, there he is. He's an incel, and he just wanted to say his first words to a woman in a long time, so. Hi, Dale. It's the first time he's ever spoken to a woman. Uh-huh. No. It's, it's 
It's good to see you. I'm, I'm glad you're here, Dale, and I'm hanging on to the ring. Okay? So I will be your candidate. Yes. All right. Thank you. Take care. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. You know, it's always exciting to be in Iowa. <laughs> Bruce, you okay with this, sweetheart? Okay, good, good. We're good. We're good. Okay. We're good. So, as I was talking about, when you've got a government that works great for those at the top and doesn't work for much of anyone else, that's what corruption is all about. It's not the corruption of brown paper bags, right, full of money. It's the corruption of campaign contributions. It is the corruption of the lobbyists, the bought and paid for experts, the think tanks that are tilted, the PR firms, the money that flows through Washington. Money, money, money. In fact, here's the way to think of it. Whatever issue is like the issue that really gets you going in the morning, whether it is gun safety or the price of health care, whether it's student loan debt, whatever is the issue, if there is a decision to be made in Washington, I guarantee it has been influenced by money. Money, money, money. And if we want a government that works not just for those with money, but works for everyone else, we can't do it by just nibbling around the edges, a little change here, a little regulation over there. We want to beat back the influence of money in Washington. It's going to take big structural change. Are you up for that? Big structural change. And here's the good news. I have the biggest anti-corruption plan since Watergate. We need the biggest anti-corruption plan since Watergate. Now, because money goes everywhere, it has a lot of moving parts to it. So let me just give you a couple of highlights. My bill, my plan, end lobbying as we know it. Block the revolving door between Wall Street and Washington. Here's one you may never have thought about. Make the United States Supreme Court follow basic rules of ethics. Okay, I can do these all afternoon, but we want to do other things too. Let me just do one more. You want to hose out some corruption in Washington? Make everyone who runs for federal office put their tax returns online. influence of money. We just disrupt it. We get on our front foot instead of our back foot. Now we've got a chance. We've got a chance to make this government work for the rest of us. We've got our chance to beat back climate change. We've got our chance to get health care for all our people. We've got our chance to cancel student loan debt. All of it starts with making this government work, not just for those at the top, making it work for everyone. That's why I'm in this fight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
questions. Hi, what's your name? Hi, my name is Don Bremer, and my Hi, question, my, my question to you is about the legalization of marijuana, uh -huh. because uh, even in Iowa, if someone gets medical marijuana, they have to pay for it because their insurance won't pay for it. Now they will pay for opioids or something like that, but they will not pay for medical marijuana, which is, I don't know. I don't know what to say about oh. that at all. So let me do this one. I believe that we should legalize marijuana nationally. We should treat it like a drug, like any other drug. That means let's do the research and let's be careful about how people have access to it and make sure that we know the strength and the safety and so on. And one more part on this. We also need to go back and look at the records, the people who have criminal records because of earlier convictions, and we need to expunge those records. It's time to make sure. My name is Ashley Weaver, and I'm a public school teacher. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Thank what, you so what do you much. Teach? What do you teach? I teach high school social studies. Whoa. Okay. Um, my question for you is, here in Iowa, we're really proud of our first in the nation status. And there's been talk that um, at a national level, we're not diverse enough and don't deserve to go first. How would you respond to that? So there have been concerns raised uh, about our primary system. And I think Julian Castro has raised them. Ayana has raised them. And I think these are legitimate concerns. Let's understand, no primary slash caucus system is perfect. There isn't one. Right now, we go to four different states in four weeks, four very different states in four weeks between Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. And I'm glad that we do that. But I want to add one more part to it. Because I made the decision early on that I was not going to spend my time in this campaign sucking up to millionaires and billionaires and corporate lobbyists. It gave me a lot more time to go to a lot of places across this nation. I've been to 31 states and Puerto Rico. I've had town halls in red states, blue states, blue parts of red states and red parts of blue states, trying to reach out to people across this nation. Because ultimately, I think that's what we have to do. We need to keep looking at our primary process, but we need to think about how we're going to be a democratic party that isn't just about any four states. It's about bringing this whole nation in, lifting this nation up to be the America we want to be. I hope that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Hi, my name is Diana Webb. Hi, Diana. Hi. Um, and I'm a community health educator in Virginia. Mm -hmm. So I understand that education is very important and I really yep. respect that. And my community question, health. Yes, yes, community health is very important. And my question is about um, when you are president. Oh, I like this. Yes. yes. Uh, when you're trying to pass legislation in Congress and working across the aisle to actually get legislation passed. Okay, so it's a great question. 
I tell you what, instead of my talking about in the abstract, here's my theory about how we'll do this, how about if I tell you when I've done it and give you just a good example of that, okay? So think about it this way. There are about 40 million people in America who have a hearing loss, serious hearing loss, but fewer than one in six gets the hearing aids they need. You know the reason? Money, cost, exactly right. A pair of hearing aids on average can cost about $5,000. Think about that. And it's not covered by health insurance. It's not, most health insurance is not covered by Medicare or Medicaid. And people just simply can't afford it. And understand this, not getting the hearing aid you need, it's not just about turning the TV up louder. It's about people who don't communicate with their families who won't go to the doctor, who won't go to the grocery store because they're afraid that they can't be understood, who are afraid to drive a car because they're afraid they may not hear something and they may put someone at danger. Hearing loss is a very isolating condition. So I started talking to some folks about why are hearing aids so expensive? $5,000, are you kidding? They're not nearly as complex as your phone. You know, and the reason? Corruption. It's a handful of hearing aid companies, small number, managed to tangle up the laws so that basically there's no competition. So they charge prices that are through the roof. So I thought, I know how we could fix that. How about if you sell hearing aids over the counter the same way we sell glasses over the counter? You go somewhere and buy a more expensive pair if you want, but you can also get some less expensive ones over the counter. So I talked to a bunch of scientists, a bunch of doctors, Said, would that work? And they said, sure. Nobody's going to get hurt. It's a great idea. And the price estimated to go from 5000 for a pair down to a few hundred bucks because you've got so much open competition out there, so many more competitors in it. So I thought, this is a good idea. Write up the legislation, check it all out. You know the first person I called? A Republican. Second person I called? A Republican. Third person I called a Republican. And here's the thing, no headlines, no trying to make a big deal out of it, although there was a point where the NRA came out in opposition. <laughs> I never did get that one. But we stayed mostly under the radar. And last year, Donald Trump signed this provision into law, and next year people will be able to buy hearing aids over the counter. by way of saying there are a lot of paths to getting things done. And for me, this is the whole heart of why to run for president. I don't want to run for president just so I can have a you know, fancier house or uh, wear nicer clothes. Um, I want to run for president because I want to get stuff done for hardworking people. Sometimes the answer on that is do it quietly, do it in the shadows. You don't need a bunch of credit for it. Just get it done. That's exactly right. Other times, that's not going to be the answer. Other times, think of my anti-corruption bill. That's not going to happen quietly. To say to people, <clears throat> you know those campaign contributions you've been taking? Find another way, right, on your campaign. You know those lobbyists that have been rolling into your office on a regular basis? We've got to change this. Um, 
that one's going to be tougher, but that one I have a different approach in mind. Let me just explain it to you real quick. I've been spending this whole year building a grassroots movement. That's really been the heart of it. And it's partly about not sucking up to the billionaires for money, but it's also partly about real discipline of relying on grassroots to fund this campaign, to volunteer for this campaign, to make it work. Why? Because that's going to be our comparative advantage to beat the Republicans in November 2020. But here's the thing. We win in November. Everybody gets to take off 24 hours. But then it's back to work. Then it's back to work. Because here's how this one's going to go. The anti-corruption bill, I've already gotten parts of it. Hearings in the House so people have had the chance to look at it. Then we get organized together. I'll leave from the White House, but I need you all on the ground to hold our Congress accountable. We're going to make our democracy work with a plan. Me from the White House, you from the ground, we'll hold government accountable and make it work for the people. That's my job. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and think, once we get that corruption, anti-corruption bill through, now it all gets easier. Now it gets easier to talk about how to make it easier to join a union. Now it gets easier to actually get a vote on gun violence. Now it gets easier to make the changes we need to make on climate change. That's how we make real change in this country. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Senator. Um, this is my friend Sophie. She's very happy to be here today. Hi, Sophie. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. <laughs> Uh, you're going to love this. My name is Bailey. Oh. <laughs> Hi, Bailey. <laughs> um, and I want to talk about pyramid schemes. Okay. And a lot of people say pyramid schemes are illegal, but they've risen from the dead as multi-level marketing companies. Yep. Uh, like Avon, Amway, LuLaRoe, Mary Kay. Um, they appeal to a lot of people, especially moms, immigrant communities military families as a way to make money from home and use your own social network to make that extra couple hundred dollars a month. Uh, but for the vast, vast majority of people, they lose money. They end up thousands of dollars in debt and with a garage full of products they can't sell. Yep. And since the only way to get rid of that debt is to sell all that stuff to your neighbor and put them in debt, it's ruined whole communities. Um, so my question is, what are you going to do to regulate this industry, begin to undo some of the damage, and still fill that need of creating ways into the economy for people for whom that hasn't been an option before? Okay, so it's a great question. And I'm going to start right, you're going to see how these themes, I keep going back to the same thing. And that is, problem we've got is not that we don't have a law to regulate this. We have a Federal Trade Commission. Our problem is corruption. Our problem is a Washington that spends a lot more time with the industries that they are supposed to regulate than they do worrying about the people who are getting hurt by those industries. So the reason you say, people say, oh no, those are gone, is because when we do enforce the laws, they go away. So again, for me, what this is about it's about getting the right people in charge of our agencies. That's a president's job, name the right people, and then back them up to do their jobs. Let me give you some quick examples around this. 
You've picked one that's in the Federal Trade Commission. I'm all in, believe me. I, I'm in on this one. But let me give you a couple more. Over the Department of Education, my Secretary of Education will be somebody who has taught public school. public education and somebody who believes like I believe that public dollars should stay in public schools or if I can let me pick another one over at the Environmental Protection Agency I want somebody who drumroll believes in science lobbyist to head up the Environmental Protection Agency. We need somebody in this fight. Or let me pick another one. How about in the Agriculture Department? We need somebody who believes in family farms, not just big ag. Or over at the Department of Defense, instead of having a seven-year lobbyist for the, one of the biggest defense industry companies in this country, how about we have somebody who is there to watch out for the safety of the American people and not the bottom line of that industry? That's how we make it. So think of it this way. We can make government work for us. We can do this. But we've got to have a president who is committed to it, and we've got to be ever vigilant. We've had decades now of a government that works better and better and better for a thinner and thinner and thinner slice at the top. But here's the good news. 2020, thanks to Donald Trump, everybody's off the sidelines. That means the door is open. 2020 is when we make the structural change and make this government work for the people. It's time. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Sam. I hope you can become president and beat Trump. Yes. Thank you, Sophie. Let's do a pinky promise later. Okay? Bye-bye. Bye, Sophie. Hi. Awesome. Okay, so... Okay. Um, awesome. Uh, so we'll be picking four more tickets. Awesome. Um, it's okay. <laughs> of course. Um, okay, so 9948793. Who's got that? Yelp. Okay, awesome. 793. Woohoo. Awesome. Okay, 9948787. Who's got that one? 787. Awesome. Amazing. Great. All right. Nine nine four eight eight oh three. Eight oh three. Eight oh three. Is that eight oh three? Eight oh three. Nope, just going to the bathroom. Eight oh three. Eight oh three. Do we have eight oh three? Okay. Um if not This could be like when I was in Iowa City a few weeks back. It's just long pause and then this woman says, Uh, I think I have the number, but I put my used gum in it. So, so check. Check. Okay. Absolutely. Um, nine nine four eight eight two five. Who's got that one? Four eight eight two five. 
Oh, again. Three. Amazing. Okay, come okay, on over. Last one. 9948848. 4888. Four, eight. All right. Awesome. Amazing. Fantastic. Thank you, so Thank you very much. All right. Hi. Hi. I'm Kate. Hi, Kate. I'm a mom. Um, I have, so am I. <laughs> um, I have two boys, and I am daily afraid of the world that they're in right now. And so, when the whole house is on fire, how do you decide which part to put out first? And when can I tell them it's gonna be okay? Say more, Kate, about what worries you for your boys. <laughs> Climate change, um, war, um, you know, just everything. <laughs> So, I know what it's like. It's hard being a mom. It's hard being a dad. It's hard just loving someone else. And thinking about you do everything you can to try to keep them safe and keep the world around them safe. But you recognize there's a lot of danger out there and a lot of danger you can't control. I believe that it is the job of the President of the United States of America to keep our people safe. And I will do everything I can to do that. And I think one of the best ways we do this is we try to get the government on the side of the people. The government is a very powerful actor. And the problem has become our government has been harnessed, not just not to work. That's not the problem. It is working. It's just working for the other team. It's working for the industries they should be regulating. Over and over and over. The defense industry. Are you kidding me? It's run by a guy who spent seven years as the chief lobbyist for one of the biggest defense contractors in the country and who's already pretty overtly said as soon as his term is up in Washington, He's headed back to the defense industry. He hadn't quite said it, but he's wink, wink, nod, nod. So every decision he's making is not about your two sons. It's much more about his old, his past and future employers. I want to change that because we can't keep doing this. We can't keep doing this as a country. Look, things were broken long before Donald Trump came along. A country that elects a man like Donald Trump has serious problems. But Donald Trump has taken these problems to new depths. And that means we now see how badly broken our government is, how much it is working for everyone else. You mentioned climate change at a time when Donald Trump is trying to do everything he can to undermine efforts to fight back against climate change. The coal lobbyist is the head of the EPA. So let me pick one, because climate change is the one. Climate change threatens every living thing on this planet. And you know what scares me the most? Every time the scientists go back and get new information and pump it into their models, we, the problem is worse than we thought, and we have less time than we thought. So here's how I think of this. You ask me one, this can't be one. 
We can't just say, what is the one best climate plan? No, we got to move forward on a lot of different climate plans. Your climate plan, my climate plan, and your climate plan. We have got to address this as urgently as the problem is upon us. So here's what I'll do. I will do everything a president can do, I love saying this, all by herself on the very first day. We'll make change on the first day. Um, no new drilling and mining on federal lands. No offshore drilling. We're done with that. We'll start picking up regulatory tools again. I got this from Governor Jay Inslee, who had worked on this for a long time. Smart, thoughtful guy. You know what we need to do? By 2028, all new building, all new housing, zero carbon footprint. By 2030, all new autos and light-duty trucks, zero carbon footprint. By 2035, all electric production, zero carbon footprint. Three areas that are responsible right now for 70% of our carbon footprint. We make change in those areas and we begin to turn this problem around. That's a part of it. Support a Green New Deal, I also am the only candidate who's got a Blue New Deal. We need to save our oceans as well as our land. We need to talk about environmental justice for far too long. Polluting industries, uh, toxic waste dumps have been located next to communities of color. And it has helped destroy health and safety, economic viability of those communities. I make a commitment that when we build a climate plan, we rebuild the neighborhoods that we have deliberately torn apart for generations. <laughs> One more I'll mention. I gotta go back to this. How are we really gonna do it on climate? We're gonna do what we do best, science. We're gonna do the inventions, we're gonna do the development, I propose, I've got a great plan, a tenfold increase in the money we put into research and development, and then to say, whatever comes out of this, you can build it so long as you build it here in America. That's over a million new jobs, manufacturing jobs, union jobs. That's how we build a future in this country. We gotta get on it fast. One more, one more, I know. And that is we gotta put our farmers on the front line in capturing carbon. Make it economically possible for them to do this. Sustainable farming, locally grown food, help our independent farmers, and we will help save this planet. We got a lot to do, but we're gonna do it. Hello, Elizabeth. Uh, my name is James, and I'm a veteran. Hi, James. Uh, can you explain more about your infrastructure policy, and yep. would you be willing to cut the military budget in half to fund your infrastructure plan and other policies? So, great question. Let me just start with the money part of this, because you've already heard three-quarters of the answer. The way we need to be thinking about our military budget, every time, yes, I'm for cutting our military budget. Every time somebody says this, though, somebody comes back and says, which program do you want to cut? And I can name a couple, like getting rid of the OCO fund, right? There are some places. But the heart of it is the structure. It's the corruption. So long as the Department of Defense is run by lobbyists 
for the defense industry, we'll never be able to make the cuts we make. And the second part is we'll never be able to drive in the direction we need to drive. There are programs we should stop doing. In fact, our military tells us about weapon systems and planes they don't even want. And yet, we need to be making investments in cyber. And we need to be thinking about the worldwide disruptive effects of climate change. We already are seeing migration around the world and the threats it poses. The wars are coming over water, over arable land. We have to think of our military in a very different way. But the best way it starts is it starts by saying, get rid of the lobbyists who are running the, the Department of Defense. That's how we're going to save real money. Thank you, James. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kayla. Um, I'm a student at USC. Hi, Kayla. It's good to see you. Nice to meet you. Um, I had a question. I'm concerned about this administration's blatant disregard for the judiciary. And I was wondering what your plan is for the Supreme Court to garner more respect for it coming forward. So, I'm going to start, Kayla, by saying I don't think it is a blatant disregard. I think they've got a plan. And they've been executing on this plan for a long time. And it has stepped into hyperdrive with Donald Trump. And that's a plan not to have an independent judiciary. Not to have a judiciary that's like an umpire in baseball, calling balls and strikes, right? There's a reason that we give judges lifetime appointment, because we want them to be insulated from the political process. We want them to never have to think about a decision here could mean more money in my pocket down the line or another job opportunity for me or the political party I've been affiliated with in the past. We truly want them to be independent, that third branch of government. The Trump administration is putting up judges that are unqualified, that are racist, that are homophobic, that are anti-women, that are anti-LGBTQ, anti-trans, and anti-voting. That's who they're putting up. And I don't say this because I'm some kind of a mind reader and I know who these people are. I'm saying it based on their written records, things they have already made clear. And when I say that's who these people are, these are people that in the George W. Bush administration would never even been thinkable as appointees. They are twisting our judiciary up and down the line. It's the Supreme Court is the most visible part but we see this at the courts of appeals, and we also see this at the district court. And this is a problem we are going to pay for for generations to come. So what do we do about it? Well, the first thing we got to do is we got to put a Democrat in the White House and put a stop to this. But then we have to think, how do we see the judiciary? And I know there are some people out there who say, I'm going to see if I can find somebody as far in the opposite direction as humanly possible. I think of this as, no, we need to restore the integrity of our judiciary. I want to see judges who are qualified. I think that's a nice place to start, right? 
who really knows something seems like a good place to start. But here's something that's key for me. I want to see judges who come from a whole bunch of different backgrounds. I want to see diversity in the full meaning of diversity. It absolutely means racial diversity, it means gender diversity, it means gender identification diversity, but it also means people who are poor, people who have seen what it's like to have to stretch, to have to borrow against next week's paycheck, people who have been lawyers and represented not just giant corporations where the money flowed endlessly, but were out there working, public defender, Right? Where they had a caseload this high and no time and not really getting paid much of anything for it. Our judiciary is a key part of our whole democratic structure and mostly we haven't been talking about it. It's been about the presidency and it's been about Congress and I appreciate your raising this. But understand, I have a commitment to restoring the integrity of our judiciary, the faith in our judiciary. I'm going to be there all the way. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Thank you. I'm going to do this, you bet. Hi. Hi, Elizabeth. My name is Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi. I work for a credit union. And our philosophy is people helping people. Yep. And our credit union members are owners. Yep. And we've got banks wanting to uh, tax credit unions. Yep. And I want to know what you think about that. No. <laughs> I'm a member of a credit union. Uh, and, you know, look. If the banks want to tax credit unions, fine. As long as the banks say they will give up all of their profit-making activities. I just want to commend you on your 50-30-20 rule. Yes. It's awesome, and I want to tell you that we're pushing to uh, forward financial education Good. for everyone. Thank you. So, so. I that is so terrific. So this is about a book I wrote a long time ago about based on my research. It's called All You're Worth. No, I'm not here to try to sell books. Uh, but it is about how families could build some financial security in a world that is rigged against them. And credit unions have really been on the front edge of not just providing financial services, but really trying to help people understand better how to manage their money. So thank you from one credit union member to another. Hi, this is going to be our final question. Final question. Make it a good one. Okay, I'm going to try. Hi, I'm Karen, and I just committed to caucus for you. Yay! Thank you, Karen. Yeah. Woohoo! And one of the reasons it's it's been a long decision. So I've seen all of the candidates, and there are a lot of very passionate people supporting all of the different candidates. So my question to you is, when you are the nominee, how are you going to bring together all of the different um, people who have supported other candidates? Some of it has been a little bit toxic. How do you bring us all together to really focus on the most important thing, which is defeating Donald Trump? Yes. All right. So Karen is right. We have one job, right? Number one job. And that is beat Donald Trump. Are you in on that? I am. I am in. And Karen rightly sees the way we're going to do this is we've got to be willing to reach out as Democrats 
and pull a lot of people in. And not only that, I'm going to add to your question, we got to be willing to pull in and have a plan to pull in some independents and some Republicans. And, yes, and when we talk about winning, it's not just about winning the White House. We need to win the Senate, put Mitch McConnell out of a job. Yes. We gotta expand the number of seats that we've got in the House of Representatives. And we need to win our state races. We need more Democratic state senators and state representatives. City councilors up and down the ticket. I don't have to tell you all in Iowa not just how important the federal race is, how important your state races are. So that means we've got to have a candidate who's thinking about this from the beginning. Someone that everyone can run with, that we can be a party, that reinforces each other, that make each other stronger. So let me tell you a little bit about how we're going to do that. Part one is think about the issues we run on. Just think about them for a minute. Look, I told you about my three brothers back in Oklahoma, right? One is a Democrat. Do the math. <laughs> right? We got two Democrats and two Republicans in our family. Two are still Republicans. We can do our Democrat-Republican talking points until everybody is exhausted. But let's just shake that table a little bit and talk about the issues just a little bit differently. When I talk with my three brothers, I was just back there last month, I talked with all three of my brothers, and I talked to them about Halliburton and Amazon and Eli Lilly. You know what those corporations have in common? There's a bunch more. They made billions, that's with a B, of dollars in one year, last year, in profits. And how much did they pay in taxes? Let's get those fingers up. Zero. Zero. That is wrong. Democrats know it, independents know it, and Republicans know it. It is corruption. They have gotten one loophole after another into, their, uh, into the tax laws. They have gotten one regulation after another forgiven because of the money they spread around Washington. We run against that corruption. We run against the most corrupt administration in history. Have you been watching these trials? Who's right at the middle? An ambassador who, how did he get to be an ambassador? He had no qualifications except he wrote a check for a million dollars to the Trump inauguration committee. He bought a public, a public post. That is, it, that is the height of corruption. So here's the thing. We get out there and run on corruption, that puts us in the right position. That's every Democrat who can run on that. That's every Democrat, and we're gonna pull in some of the independents who are sick of seeing a government 
that works for those at the top and doesn't work for them. It's going to help us pull in Republicans who are tired of this and ready to make some moves. So that's part of it. Two more issues that we should be running on and running hard on. It is time for a wealth tax in America. Understand this. I'm not going to do the whole wealth tax thing, but I love it. Uh, two cent wealth tax. These are on fortunes above $50 million. It's one tenth of 1% of the families in this country. Two cent wealth tax is supported by a huge majority of Democrats, a majority of independents, and a majority of Republicans. We can run on this up and down the ticket, and we can talk about what it will mean for families. That families will have access to universal childcare. That we can do universal preschool for every three-year-old and four-year-old in America. That we can make an investment in our public schools unlike anything we've ever done before. $800 billion from that two cents. We can quadruple the funding for Title I schools. A special ed teacher, for the first time in history, we can fully fund IDEA so children with disabilities get the education they need. We can provide technical school, two-year college, four-year college, tuition-free for everyone who wants an education. We can put $50 billion into our historically black colleges and universities. Yes. And one more. We can do all of that on that two cents. And we can cancel student loan debt for 43 million Americans, Democrats and Republicans. So we run on that wealth tax. We run on what we can do and that it's fully paid for, and that we'll put money down into the local economy and help bring down the national debt. We run on that. That's good for Democrats, and it's going to help us scratch off some Republicans. And one more, one more about our values. After a lifetime of hard work, people should be entitled to retire with dignity. I have a plan to expand Social Security payments $200 a month everyone who gets social security or disability payments. We lift four and a half million people out of poverty and just loosen up the budgets for millions and millions more. And here's the thing, Democrats like it, independents like it, Republicans like it. This gives us our start. We can build on the things that we agree on. That's how we bring our party together, and that's how we begin to pull in people from the other side. And here's the best part of all. That's how we beat Donald Trump and Republicans up and down the table. I want to say one more quick thing about how we win, because I think it's important. I have the best team in Iowa. Part of that team, understand, didn't start out as Warren supporters. Part of that team started out as Booker supporters, and God bless them. Hard workers. Cory Booker is a good man. Part of them 
started out as Kamala supporters. Part of them started out as Julian supporters. Part of them started out as, uh, I'm just trying to think, we had some Kirsten supporters who were working for us, Bullock from Montana. Here's the point. As others have had to leave the race, I haven't been happy about a single one of those. I, I, that's the truth. The day that Kamala left and said it's over money and a billionaire bought his way onto the debate stage, I said our democracy is badly broken. When Corey said he had to leave, but two billionaires are funding their campaigns out of their own pockets, it's not even a question of, of how I see them on policy, it's a question of how you think democracy ought to work. But this is wrong. But here's the thing, they're not in the race, and I'm sorry for that, but the people who are in the fight know they've got to stay in the fight. In fact, they've got to double down in the fight if they want to make real change. So I've been building a campaign from the beginning that's not a campaign that's narrow, not a campaign that says it's us and nobody else. It's a campaign that says, come on in, because we are in this fight together. This fight is our fight. selfies. He's over there primping. Uh, oh, he's got someone who's petting him. Yeah, he may just stay there all day. Uh, he's having fun. Um, I want to I wrap this up by telling you a story. Uh, it's a story about a toaster. You did not see that coming, right? The guy in the back said, what? Uh, story about a toaster. When I was a young mom, toasters could catch houses on fire. It's true. And here's how it worked. You know those little toaster oven things? So they didn't have automatic shutoff switches. So you put four slices of bread on it, flick the thing on, hear the baby cry, run down to the other end of the house. You're gone a little longer than you thought you were. And by the time you come back, the flames are leaping off the toast six to eight inches. They catch the kitchen curtains on fire, and in turn, they catch the cabinets on fire. Ask me how I know. All I will confess to is that my daddy, uh, for Christmas one year, gave me a fire extinguisher. But here's where government comes in. Consumer Product Safety Commission stepped up and said, enough, we're not doing this anymore. And that was it. You couldn't sell toasters that had a chance of burning down people's homes. They put safety switches on them. No more house fires. By the early 2000s in America, home mortgages were so complex and so dangerous. Think about this. They had a one in five chance of costing a family their home through foreclosure. Only this time, the federal agencies were not on the side of the people, they were on the side of the banks. They were saying to the banks, just keep on selling those things. And that's what they did until they crashed the entire economy in 2008 and had to be bailed out. So, after the crash, I had an idea that I took down to Washington. Now, I'm not an elected official, but here was my plan. How about if we have an agency like the Toaster Agency, only an agency that says you don't get to boost your profits by cheating people on credit cards and mortgages and payday loans 
and uh, a student lens. And so I just basically knocked on doors. I didn't know anybody uh, much. I knocked on doors and pitched my idea wherever I could. Democrat, Republican, didn't matter to me. And I noticed after a while I was getting largely the same response. And the response was, hmm, that's a good idea. That was part one. Good idea. You could make a real difference with that. Structural change. And the second was, don't even try. Wall Street will be against you. Big money will be against you. The Republicans will be against you. Heck, half the Democrats will be against you. You will never get it done. I get it. Big structural change is hard. But it was the right thing to do. So we got in that fight. We took on the big donors. We took on Wall Street. And in 2010, President Obama signed that agency into law. We know how to make government work for the people. We can win. And now, we've had three years of Donald Trump. And people, people are afraid. You know, they're afraid for their families and for their neighbors. They're afraid for little children locked up in detention centers down at our border and for children in lockdowns in our public schools. They're afraid for women, for people of color, for LGBTQ people, for trans people, all of whose rights are up for grabs in this Supreme Court term. They are afraid for their nation and afraid for their planet. And the danger is real. Our democracy hangs in the balance. So what are we going to do? We can cower, we can be timid, we can crouch, or we can fight back. Me, I'm fighting back. That's why I'm in this. I'm fighting back. Fighting back is an act of patriotism. Yeah. Fighting back. Think of it this way. We fought back against a king to build this nation. We fought back against the scourge of slavery to preserve this nation. We fought back against a Great Depression to rebuild the economy of this nation. And we fought back against fascism to protect our democracy in this nation. We are at our best when we see a big problem and we fight back with big structural change. This is no time for small ideas. This is no time to nibble around the edges of big problems. This is the time to meet these challenges head on. This is the time to build the America of our best dreams. Look at it this way. I am not in this campaign because I have a bunch of consultants who've told me how to run this. That hasn't happened. I don't have a bunch of proposals that were carefully designed not to offend big donors. I passed that stop sign a long time ago. 
I am in this campaign for a fight from the heart because I believe that this is our moment in history. I believe that this is the moment that comes to us. And I ask you if you believe that this is our moment, if you believe in the America we can build when government isn't just on the side of the rich and the powerful, when it doesn't take an army of lobbyists or big donations to get your voice heard, if you believe in that America and you believe that that America is worth fighting for, then I'm asking you, commit today to caucus for me. Volunteer. Agree to spend an hour on the phones. Go do some door knocking. Go to ElizabethWarren.com. Find the place closest to you where you can help out. But get in this fight. Because understand in this fight. Understand this moment will not come our way again. This moment in history is right here in Iowa over the next two days. And this moment is our moment to dream big, fight hard, and win.